0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I'm thrilled to be joined by Sean McCreish today, who is a features writer at New York magazine covering media, politics and power, and he's written a very good piece called George Santos' MAGA It Girl. Sean, I think for our British listeners, we should sort of do a bit of background on George Santos in case they haven't been following his story, because it is an extraordinary one. Let me start with the middle of an introduction. You can correct me if I get anything wrong or add any more detail. There was a bit of a Republican red wave in New York in the midterms in November, and one of the seats that the Republicans won was the 3rd District, which is... Long Island, that, that's right, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's Long Island. It's a little bit of Queens, but mostly
0: it's Long Island. And a little bit of Queens. And George Santos, who was a gay married man, won a seat there. And there was a lot of sort of talk about this red wave in New York. And Santos was seen as a sort of possible star of this little wave. But then it very quickly transpired that he was a, or is a, a fabulist and had invented all sorts of extraordinary things about his past. There were then all sorts of calls for him to be sort of thrown out of politics, but the Republicans have a very slim majority and he finds himself still in politics, still in Congress. Obviously, it's quite a big deal to throw him out, but there aren't any obvious moves afoot to get rid of him. And he's even got a bit of a sort of cult status, as you refer to in this piece, because he's such a fabulist. Is that a fair
1: summary? Am I missing out? Yeah, yeah, that's a fair summary. Although, Fabulist is putting it lightly. I mean, this person is talented Mr. Ripley-level maniac. He <laughs> has, like, four different names. He claimed that his mother died in 9-11. He's more than a, a liar. He appears to be a con artist. There are all these sort of scams. It seems he was running on veterans. He was possibly committing financial crimes in Brazil. He's just had all these insane, insane different identities. He claimed to work for Goldman Sachs. He claimed to have had employees who died in the Pulse LGBT nightclub shooting. It's almost pathological. He, you know, it was this incredible thing where because a lot of the systems are so atrophied and hollowed out now, including the local news environment, that somebody with this much baggage And this much stuff out there was able to squeak in and it didn't all come out until afterwards. And so once it began and the the stories started coming on, I mean, it was every day, there was another crazy outrageous thing that was discovered and people were sort of just waiting for him to bow out. Like there's no way somebody like this could hold office, but he's been sort of brazening through it these last couple of weeks. And I think by the time I was with him at this bar last week or, or the other day, whatever. I think of this moment as him turning the corner where he's now just going to own his villainy and kind of just plow ahead. And it's this remarkable thing that I don't really know if somebody could have the balls to do this pre-Trump um, yes. in, the, in the pre-Trump world because it's just so outrageous.
0: Yes, well, let's get on to the Trump element of it. But first of all, it's quite a damning indictment of the Republican Party, the media, the Democratic Party since they should have done some pretty good OPPO research on him uh, and they don't seem to have landed any significant blows before he won the election. I mean, it's quite a damning environment of a lot of things that he was able to get as far as he has.
1: Yeah, this piece that I've written, it it begins with George Santos and it's basically about George Santos, but it really twists into a mini profile within the piece of his director of operations, who is this sort of crazy bomb-throwing Steve Bannon protege He aspires to be Roger Stone. And he spoke very plainly, and directly with me about the strategy that they have with him and how they look at him as a candidate now. And in the piece, we go to Staten Island because that's where the operative is from. And I have all these run-ins with these sort of disaffected Republican Staten Island voters. And I'm standing there. They're the guy's neighbors. And he tells them, oh, I work for George Santos now. And Me being a member of the media and part of the liberal elite, (laughs) I'm thinking, oh, my God, these people are going to think George Santos, how could you do that? And they all just sort of shrug and go, eh, yeah, so the guy's a liar, aren't they all? And I think people are so cynical and so apathetic that it wasn't as remarkable to these people as it was to somebody like me, because that's how much people hate politicians in the media in this country.
0: Well, I wondered, reading the detail you put about Vish is fascinating and, and brilliantly done. To what extent do you think Burra and, to a certain extent, Santos, are, trolling's perhaps the wrong word, but they are deliberately
1: lying because it's funny to them. It's funny to them the extent to which they can get away with it. I don't think trolling's the wrong word. I think it is the right word. I think they're both trolls and true believers. Another aspect of this whole thing that interested me that I tried to capture in my piece that I hadn't really seen elsewhere is that These guys are kind of the first post-Trump generation of young people to get their hands on power. They were in their 20s when Trump got elected. And they were this little group of friends who kind of hijacked this young Republicans club, which had become this sort of sleepy club in the city. You know, there are barely any Republicans in New York. And the ones they had were these sort of, I don't know, suit wearing, tax policy obsessed nerds. And it got overrun by these crazy MAGA people. And Santos was one of them. He was just some guy from Queens who was a right winger that would hang out at this clubhouse with this other guy from Staten Island. And then there's a third guy who runs the thing. And it's kind of a tale of these like outer borough maniacs who were obsessed with Trump that took over. And then one of them gets elected. And, you know, they're Trumpist in the true sense that they really just exist to piss off the left. I mean, look, they do have certain policy positions that they feel strongly about that make them MAGA people. But I do think that the primary function of these people is just to piss off the left and do outrageous shit. And it's working. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there does
0: seem to be that sort of sniggering element to a lot of these young Republicans. And in Santos, they have the perfect sort of snigger figure because they're nihilists essentially and they think that the system is so corrupt and rotten that it doesn't matter being corrupt and rotten yourself and in fact it's funnier if you are
1: yes as always with these people it's if you sit down and really try to rationalize it it'll drive you nuts because all they they're rallying about corruption and and liars and this and that and and then you know this guy is literally like scamming people out of money and has like all these investigations into him and he seems to be more corrupt than anybody but they have an answer for everything but it doesn't really make sense you kind of have to just take them at face value they're trolls and honestly their base would rather have somebody like George Santos in there pissing off the establishment than the establishment itself Hmm. they'd rather have somebody like that in there than Mitt Romney because they do have a burn it all down desire. And, and that's why they elected Trump.
0: Yes. As you suggest in the piece that polls would suggest that while they managed to win in November, the number of burn it all down, piss everyone off voters is not enough to win them an election. I think so much has emerged about Santos now that you would probably bet that he's not going to win
1: again. You know, they've got this whole strategy to refashion him and make him into this sort of mega icon. And I think that will work with the base. Where this guy is from, I mean, there there are neighbourhoods from Queens in there. There are neighbourhoods from the north shore of Long Island. I think enough people will be mobilised to get him out of office. I mean, by then he'll probably have some dumb job on Fox News or something depressing like that. But I don't see how he could win again. But in this country, you never know.
0: Let's talk a bit about his money, because that's all rather mysterious. He seems to have gotten hold of some money through various scams, it seems, allegedly, maybe we have to say, still. But no one's quite sure how much money he has, where it came from, that sort of stuff. Can you give us a bit of detail?
1: Yeah, I don't know either. This is something my editors really wanted me to try to nail down, but I just don't even know how to go about that. I'm not a very good investigative digger. But he is this guy who it appeared that he was always sort of dodging eviction, him and his sister, and it seemed like he could barely pay his rent. And he's got this mysterious past in Brazil and these sort of checked. Hashing schemes, and then all of a sudden he has his hands on all this money. And they say the people around him, like, oh, this is all the fault of his treasurer, this woman, Nancy Marks, who just resigned and he appointed a new one. But I- I'm sure that whatever sort of crooked game he was running with all those campaign funds, it will all come to light. I mean, this stuff always does, they never get away with it. The House ethics panel just appointed an investigation into him, it'll come out eventually whatever it is that he's doing.
0: And you clearly think that a lot of uh, this trolling movement, if you like, stems from Trump. a Vishbura, I think in your piece, says that Trump's election was a, I don't remember the phrase he uses, like a touchstone moment for him or something. Yeah, yeah. Something and like I suppose that's true. I mean, I've certainly been to young Republican parties since Trump and during the Trump election in 2016. And there was this sort of moment of it was a red pilling moment, I suppose, for them, where they all suddenly thought the world order is disintegrating and we can have a lot of fun here.
1: Yeah. For them, there is an aspect of it's fun for them. And even that Young Republicans Club, they've hijacked it. And some Republicans would say what they're doing is driving it off the cliff. But you could take another view of it, which is that they've made it this sort of hot destination for people in their world. That gala that they put on now every year has become a complete freak show. And it's hugely attended, and you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene on the stage saying that if she and Bannon had done January 6th, they would have won. And I was there the year before, and Rudy Giuliani was, like, saying all this crazy stuff on stage about Hunter Biden's laptop. And they've got these kind of characters, and they get up there, and they really push the envelope. This guy, Vishva Burrow, was—I discovered in the course of doing this piece, I went back and watched his speech and realized he had just ripped off whole chunks of Mussolini's speech that he made— to justify the invasion of Ethiopia. I mean, these guys are trolls. They really, really push it. And they love when the media freaks out. And for them, it's all a game. And it, and if it sounds funny, ha But what's scary is that there are people who listen to this shit and take it seriously. And then you end up with something like January 6th. So, you know, it's like, how funny is it really? Well, to
0: what extent, I mean, obviously, self-hating media people are inclined to blame the media itself. But I, I think... To a certain extent, the media can be blamed in America because of the hysterical reaction to so many things that turned out to be not worth being hysterical about, that now a lot of voters, when they see the media saying this person is unacceptable, a lot of voters
1: think, oh, well, actually, I quite like him. Oh, definitely. The media is awful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we agree about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I mean, they've made their own bed. And
0: what's next for George Santos then? I mean, he will survive? Until until the next season. Well, election. he
1: doesn't he definitely doesn't seem like he's gonna resign. Like I said, this scene that I saw of him in the bar, I mean, he's having fun now. He's a celebrity. I think this is what he always wanted. So I think they're just gonna own it. The strategy they're doing now is they're gonna try to show the base that he is like the most hardcore MAGA person up there. I think they want him to be part of this trollish triumvirate along with Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Green, and hopefully that will make him some kind of gold status member of their little club. And I don't know if I had to predict. Yeah, I could see him being voted out, but not before he gets some pathetic spot on Fox Nation or maybe his own little podcast on Bannon's network or whatever it is these people do. But they're essentially media figures themselves. And you can see that's what he wants to do. I don't really see how somebody this unserious and unscrupulous could really be a legislator in it for the long haul. And yeah, I mean, it's such a departure from the sort of New York Republicans of yore, and you think about Peter King and these people from Long Island who had those seats for a very long time. And it's just a sad thing for the voters, actually, I think.
0: Do you think, though, it will disintegrate eventually, because it has to disintegrate? Because within the populist nationalist movement in America, there are a lot of people who take it very, very seriously. You know, you think about J.D. Vance or someone who, whatever his Twitter activities, he's quite a serious person. He does, He's not a, a troll in the same way. Right. And eventually, don't those people get frustrated with these guys who are just having fun and essentially making a mockery of the whole process?
1: I don't know. Probably. But I think those people are also very afraid of their own base. You you can see it with the Fox News stuff. I mean, Fox News is a bunch of trolls, but they don't get out of line. So I think they have to be very, very careful. It's a hard line to toe when you're feeding your base all this crazy stuff. And I don't know, you sort of have to stay on message and you can't go against one of your own. And I I think MAGA world people are scared a lot of the time.
0: Mm. It's
1: interesting you mentioned Fox. There's
0: been a lot of talk that Fox News has this silent ban on Trump from appearing. Rupert Murdoch uh, seems to have set his stall out against Donald Trump, at least for now. Do you think that can continue if Trump continues to push ahead in the polls And how does an organization like Fox handle a movement like the Trump movement in
1: 2023? I'm not sure it's so interesting because now everything's through the context of this crazy Dominion lawsuit, which is turning out to be, I think, a bigger scandal than probably even the phone hacking scandal, something your listeners will remember. It's a huge, huge deal. And we're right in the middle of it right now. So I think the answer to your question will really depend on what happens with all of that. And we'll we'll know soon enough. Well, let's explain it for some listeners
0: who won't know. Dominion was the company, which is now reported as a purely innocent company, really, that was caught up in this whole idea of a stolen election. And there was a lot of internal debate at Fox over how to treat Dominion. That's right, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And the Fox, the primetime host and others were having on their shows these Trump world figures who were going on there and just spewing complete nonsense about a stolen election. And they kept blaming this Dominion voting software and the software company, the the Dominion just kept telling them like basically cease and desist. You can't have these people on there saying that about us. It's not true. And you know, it's not true. And they kept having them on anyway. And now it's gone to, you know, they sued and there was like a discovery period. And now all these communications of all the top Fox figures, people like Tucker Carlson and even all the way up to Rupert Murdoch, their emails and texts show that they, of course, knew that the people they had on their shows were complete maniacs, and they were letting them say it anyway, because they were so afraid of upsetting the base. And they learned very quickly after they called Arizona for Biden first. And a lot of those crazy people changed the channel and never looked back. And this guy, Vish is one of them. I mean, he hates Fox News because of that decision. Mm. So this is the prime example of being afraid of your own viewers and your own base. It's just interesting because it's like a Greek fable or Shakespearean or something. You know, they're, they're the ones who helped make these people so crazy and they did it for money. And then in the end, it might be the thing that really cost them billions of dollars. So they went too far almost.
0: And also there's an extent to which within this movement, there are a lot of people who are media grifters themselves. And by railing against Fox News, they can create their own little empires. And we're seeing a fair amount of that already. And in the last few years, we've seen different channels grow, different media publications grow, just to cater to this MAGA right.
1: Absolutely. It's so interesting. The right wing media world here is so different because they have fewer outlets and options than the blue team does. And on the red side, it's like Fox is such a juggernaut that a lot of conservative people who have books to push and want to be TV people. And for lack of a better word, media whores, they're so afraid of pissing off Fox, even if they really hate Fox, because the platform is so huge, they have to be on there. And it doesn't take much to piss off Fox. And once you're blacklisted from Fox, you're sort of screwed. And so around Fox, there have been all these other little outlets that have sprung up and all these conservatives really don't like each other. So like the Daily Wire versus Fox, and you've got the Bannon people, and then you've got the sort of Newsmax people, and and they're all kind of split. But Fox is like the king, and you don't want to get blacklisted from there. And so a lot of people tread lightly. Then there are others like Bannon who just don't care, and they'll throw bombs. But you're right. I mean, to be anti-Fox is sort of a move now, too. And unfortunately, it's not like they're anti-Fox because... For any altruistic reason, like look how they make fun of their own viewers and our own people, they're more like anti-fox because it's like, why won't they say the election was stolen? You know. Yeah, yeah. And presumably,
0: this is all catnip for the Democrats, who were surprised on the upside by November and the failure of all the most obviously Trumpy, most obviously ludicrously Trumpy figures, particularly in the Senate races, and. Presumably, the more they can keep people like George Santos in the public's eye, the more they can have Fox News in bits over what to do about Trump and the Trump movement, the better for the Democrats looking ahead to 2024.
1: I guess. I'm not a pundit and I'm not a political strategist, so I don't really know, but I tend to think just myself that when they do that, and they focus on look how much of a scoundrel this person is, and look how stupid these people are, and look how bad Fox News is. I I actually don't think that's a winning strategy. I just talking to voters and talking to these people on Staten Island and knowing people from my own lower middle class town. That's not really what gets people out. I mean, I think the Democrats really need to return to their working class roots. And I think they need to talk about making people's lives better, not talking about look at what an asshole George Santos is. I just don't, I I guess that helps them. I don't really think it does, though.
0: Yeah. Well, I wanted to end by asking you about your experience meeting not just voters who were around these people, but also the people themselves. Do you find yourself repulsed
1: by them? Were you repulsed by Vish Burra? Or do you find it quite amusing? What what do you think? Um, No, repulsed, no. I'm a journalist, so I, I always like a good character. I think some of the things they say are awful. Again, you can never really tell if it's a bit. And I, you know, I I would call it out when he started going into this crazy stuff about the election being stolen. I'd be like, come on, man, you don't really believe that, do you? Yeah, I mean, I think their views are abhorrent, but was he an awful person to spend an afternoon with? No. (laughs) George Santos seemed like a little bit of a pill. I mean, I was only at his table for 20 minutes. I kept begging him for an interview Mm. and he was making all these bitchy remarks and sort of clearly like reveling in it, but he seemed a little... He didn't seem as fun, I will say that. Yes,
0: I suppose that's the problem with con men, actually, is you think they'll be interesting and fun, but actually they're living so many lives that it's hard to it's hard Yeah, to yeah,
1: keep. they're just sort of awful. Whatever you can say about Vish Burra, that guy's living his authentic life.
0: <laughs> well, maybe Vish Burra will emerge as the future of MAGA, not George Santos.
1: Yeah, the future of something.
0: <laughs> Sean, we will end it there, but thank you very much indeed for coming on to Americano, and your stuff in New York Magazine is brilliant, so please keep it up.
1: Thanks very much, Freddie. Have a good one.
0: Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Ferrose and the rest of The Spectator's broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.